the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, the Israelites started well, but now begin to allow little compromises. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 1, verse 22. The title of the message is, A Little Compromise Goes a Long Way. All right, Judges chapter 1. The whole theme of the book of Judges is why we need a king, and not just a person king, but why we need the king of kings, why we need Jesus to come and fix this mess. We see throughout the book of Judges that phrase, and every man did that which is right in his own eyes, and it explains because there's no king in Israel. And so we're going to see this, not progression, but a depression. We're going to see a downgrade as we move through the book of Judges, as people move away from that concept that God was to be their king. And God will raise up leaders here and there through these cycles of disobedience and God's judgment and then repentance. And then God raises up that judge to lead them to victory and then recommitment to the Lord. And then they'll repeat the cycle all over again. And we're going to see it just get worse and worse and worse as man keeps moving further away from the sovereignty of, of God in their lives. We start off pretty well, though, as we looked at last week, right? Judah and Simeon, they did pretty good, but they did compromise when it came to completely eradicating the Philistines. We saw in chapter 1, verse, I believe, 21, where Benjamin doesn't even try to drive out the remaining Jebusites. And so these little compromises that they made, they're going to continue as we examine the other tribes, and those compromises will eventually lead to God's discipline. And, you know, that's the problem of drifting from God's Word. You don't notice how far away you are until you're really far away. You ever go to the beach, and you go out in the water, and, and I've used this illustration a thousand times, so half of you could probably preach it for me, but you go out to the beach, and you go out to the water, and you look up, and oh, there's the car. You know you're slowly being dragged away, but you still see the car. And then all of a sudden, you look up, and you go, where's the car? You know, where, where's, where, where's our tent? Where's our stuff? Because that slow little slide, that slow drift eventually takes you very far away if you don't keep pushing back against the current. And so you don't notice how far away you are from God until you're really far away. And so as we see this evening that God rebukes Israel for their sin, may we break with any compromises we have in our lives before we get to that place. So chapter one, we pick it up in verse 22 with the tribes of Joseph. 
From the house of Joseph, they also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph sent to describe Bethel. Now the name of the city before was Luz. And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray you, the entrance into the city, and we will show you mercy. And when he showed them the entrance into the city, they smote the city with the edge of the sword, but they let go the man and all of his family. And the man went into the land of the Hittites and built the city and called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Now neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan and her towns, nor Tanakh and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Dor and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Ibliam and her towns, nor the inhabitants of Megiddo and her towns, but the Canaanites would dwell in that land. And it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell in Gezer among them. So here we see these two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. At the beginning, it looks like they work together to be obedient to the Lord, but then we see compromises, and those compromises lead to sin. Now, again, it says the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph would be the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, his two oldest sons. It doesn't tell us they teamed up, but because it uses the phrase the house of Joseph here, it's very possible that the two tribes teamed up similar to how Judah and Simeon did. And the first place they go against was Bethel, and the Lord was with them. Now, Bethel is about 12 miles north of Jerusalem, and you might be thinking, well, wait a second, I thought they already fought against Bethel in Joshua, and they did. In Joshua chapter 8, it covers the defeat of the city of Ai, and it mentions that the city of Bethel was allied to Ai, and Bethel emptied their city of its armies to assist Ai. Remember, the plan was that Israel would go and attack, and then they would pretend like they're getting beat and run, and Joshua would have the reserves there ready to be a pincer that would get them. So when the tribes that Joshua initially sent started to retreat, they sent forces into the city, and then they would be caught in a pincer. And so when Ai emptied its city, Bethel emptied its city too. And so the armies of Ai and Bethel were crushed. Ai was captured, but Bethel was not. So that's why it's still standing here and why Ephraim needs to take it. After the defeat of Ai, Israel moved from there to Shechem, where they renewed their covenant with the Lord, where they had the two mountains and they shouted down the blessings and the curses. So they they didn't take care of Bethel. So kudos to Ephraim for setting out to finish the task God gave them. And as promised, the Lord was with them in their obedience. And the Lord was with them. And so we see that they were successful, as we've already read. Now, how were they successful? Verse 23. And the house of Joseph, they sent in to describe, means just to spend out, send out spies. The King James Bible, the old King James, was written with very poetic language. It was written in the Elizabethan English. They didn't even speak that at the time of King James, but it was written with that. It has a lyrical style to it. It's why, by the way, it's the easiest Bible to memorize. But it does make words complicated at times. The word describe just means to send out spies. So the house of Joseph sent out spies to Bethel. Now, the name of the city beforehand was Luz. Now, the word Luz, it means almond trees, and that's because there are almond orchards in that area there, and that was the original name of the city. That's the name of the city right now. Bethel means house of God, and this city of Luz was called Bethel first by Jacob back in Genesis 28, 19. Remember when Jacob had to flee his brother Esau, he didn't know where to go, what to do, and he fell asleep with a pile of rocks for his pillow. And God appeared to him in a dream and he made him the promise, the same promise he made to Abraham and Isaac. He said, listen, 
He said, I'm making my covenant with you. You are my chosen person. Your descendants are a number of the sand of the sea. Just trust me, Jacob. I've got you. I'll take care of you. Now, Jacob's not really walking with the Lord at this point in his life at all, at all. And so Jacob gets up and he goes, hmm, I think God's in this place. And so he calls it, instead of lose, he calls it the Bethel, the house of God. And because he felt like this was something mystical about this place, that God appeared to him. And, and Jacob did something else that was very silly. He goes, Lord, that was a real dream, and you keep up your end of the bargain. I'll give you 10% of everything I own. Like he's going to bargain with God. You know, like, you know, you need to make do on your dream, and I'll, I'll make it worth your while. But because of this experience with their patriarch, their forefather, Israel renamed the city from Luz to Bethel when they conquer it. That's very interesting to me because, again, Jacob doesn't name it Bethel when he's a godly person. Jacob, he named it house of God because he didn't understand that God was always with him and always loved him. He makes a deal with God there that he tithed to God if God brought him safely home in the future. So if God did everything he promised he'd do. So this is certainly not a good thing that he's doing when he says it's Bethel and everything like that. So Bethel, in a sense, from its very beginning, becomes a place known for misunderstanding God. That's what it's known for. And you know what's interesting? Bethel is the place where Jeroboam set up a new temple for the northern tribes to worship God through the symbol of a golden calf. A house for God in the house of God. But this misunderstood the purpose of the real temple in Jerusalem. In Isaiah 66, verses 1 through 4, the Lord talks about it when he says this. Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus says the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you build unto me? Where's the house you can build to contain me? Where is the place of my rest? I can rest wherever I want. For all those things has my hand made, and all those things have been. I created them, says the Lord. So the temple's not the place where we find God, is what the Lord's saying. He's not, that's not where you find me. He says, but to this man will I look even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, that's humble and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. So all of you in Israel right now who think it's all about the temple, it's all about the rituals, it's all about that's where you're going to have spiritual experiences. He says, he that kills an ox there, it's as if he killed a man to me. That's where I'm at with you guys right now. He that sacrifices a lamb, it's like he slid a dog's neck. That's what it's like to me now. And he that offers an oblation, like a, a grain offering or a, a drink offering, it's as if he, if he offered pig's blood. I mean, that's, that's pretty opposite of what their beautiful offerings are supposed to represent, right? He that burns incense, it's just as if he blessed an idol. Why? He goes, oh yeah. It's because they have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I will also choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. When I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose not that which I delighted, or chose that in which I did not delight. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? The Lord says they didn't get it. 
Now, I hear people then they go, see, that's why we don't need to go to church, Pastor Well, you know, church isn't that important. We can have church in our home. First off, I'm glad you talk about the word in your home. You should talk about the word in your home. That's not church, all right? You know what church is? It's when you expose yourself to getting hurt by people who aren't your family. It's when you expose yourself where you have to use your gifts. You know, I get it. I get it that sometimes it can be hard. Maybe you've been hurt at a church. I get it. But if you say, well, we do family church. No, you're, you're in disobedience. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest with you. Don't deceive yourself, all right? right? You do family devotions. Have time with your family, but don't be disobedient to the Lord. He said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. And the word assembly there is sunagage. It is the concept of gathering in the public with people that are not just your family. People that are different than you. People that might make mistakes. People that might hurt you. Might let you down. Because they need to be loved just like you need to be loved. You know, these guys, they thought it was all that's, what not, this, this not, that's a whole side thing. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about making the temple the place where that's where, that's where the magic happens, you know? And he's like, you can bring all your offerings and do it exactly like the Bible says. But when your hearts are far from me and you're misunderstanding what it's all about, it's like these nasty things that I said here. So what was the main problem? Because they didn't listen when he spoke. Now, who did he say he would be near to? to those who were humble of a contrite spirit and who trembled at his word. Listen, let's not be Christians who understand the, 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 the spiritual lingo, but misuse it. Let's be Christians who tremble at his word, amen? You know, who humble ourselves before it instead of emblems and other things out there. Now, this is obviously much of a side thing to what Judges chapter one is talking about here, but I think it's important because he, he brings out that it has a different name. It has a history. But back to the topic at hand, the spies here, verse 24 of Judges 1. Or, uh, Judges one, And the spies saw a man come forth out of the city, and they said unto him, Show us, we pray you, the entrance into the city, and we will show you mercy. So what happened that they got to choose a different name for the city? Well, it says they saw a man come out of the city. Now, what you have to understand about Bethel at this point in time is that Bethel had locked itself in after the defeat of Ai. So the fact that this guy's out of the city means he knows how to get back into the city. And so when the spies catch him, they offer him a deal. Show us, we pray you, the entrance, the pathway into, the word entrance there means a pathway into a secured area. Show us how to get into the city and we will show you mercy. Now, on a casual first reading, you think we won't, we won't kill you is what that means. That's not what mercy means there. It's the word chesed in Hebrew. And you've heard me talk about it before because it refers to it's the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament word agape. It's God's love. He says, if you will show us the entrance into the city, we will show you God's loyal love, God's unconditional devotion. In other words, you know, while we have no record of this man exhibiting the faith of Rahab, the same deal is offered to him. If you will assist us, we'll make you part of our family. We'll bring you into the covenant. And what I love about this is that, again, it shows us, it gives us, you know, for all the examples we, of, of information we don't have, and they went and they burned the city to the ground. We don't have any information that they gave the city a chance to repent or anything like that. That doesn't mean they didn't. In fact, it would lead us to believe that when they march around Jericho seven times and they do something like this and they do what they did with Rahab, that the regular habit of Israel was to call the people they were fighting to repentance. 
And they only destroyed them when they wouldn't. Because everyone that did was welcomed into the family of God, even if they weren't Jewish. Every time. So here again, we see that, you know, God, he's not fixed on destroying anyone. God never is fixed on destroying anyone. He wanted to pardon everyone. And he gave them numerous opportunities to do so. Those that responded were forgiven, regardless of their past wickedness or their non-Jewish heritage. Those that ignored his call to, to, to be forgiven, his call to repent, they experienced judgment. So what does this guy choose? This guy chooses pardon. And so when he showed them the entrance into the city, it just simply says they destroyed the city. They smote it with the edge of the sword. But they let go of the man. And then it mentions not just the man, but all of his family. So apparently he went back like Rahab and told the family and they decided to trust the Lord and they were spared as well. So, you know, again, we aren't given any details of the victory, only that it happened. In fact, one might even say that these spies, very much like the spies who stayed with Rahab, they went on a rescue mission instead of an espionage mission. And one could say that because the only job they had was to get this guy rescued him and his family in addition to finding the way into the city. Now, verse 26, or verse 25, but they let the man go, the man and all his family. And so the man went into the land of the Hittites and built a city, and he called the name thereof Luz, which is the name thereof unto this day. Now, the land of the Hittites, Joshua 1.4 calls the northern part of Israel the land of the Hittites. I, I always get fascinated when, you know, these commentators, they debate on where the land of the Hittites is. We think it's Assyria, we think it's Turkey, whatever. First off, I don't see any reason why Joshua, would, or judge, the writer of Judges would mention you know, yeah, and he went all the way up to Turkey and built the city and called the name of it Luz, like they'd like kept letters or something like that, you know? Hey, if you, if you, if you will, you know, show us the way into the city, we'll welcome you into the covenant family. Bye. You know, I, it doesn't seem right to me. Joshua 1.4 calls the northern part of the promised land, the land of the Hittites, because that's where the Hittites were primarily located amongst all the Canaanites there. And so we have never discovered this other Luz, but it's clear that this family was able to make a fresh start by the grace of God. And you know what? God would have done the same for anyone else who repented, and God will do the same for you and me when we repent. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He is a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things are become new. So, well, so far, it looks pretty good, right, for the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, right? They're doing what the Lord said. It is good. But instead of becoming encouraged by the victory, they become lazy. Look at verse 27. Verse 27 says, neither did Manasseh drive out, which sounds like what? Like something bad happened prior to this. The word neither just means on the other hand. So I don't know why they said neither. So while they started good, it says on the other hand, they didn't finish well. On the other hand, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshan, Tanakh, uh, Dor, Iblam, and Megiddo, these five cities. Now, Manasseh never tried because it also mentions here, we know they didn't try because it wasn't just the cities that they didn't conquer. It's their little settlements, the little villages outside the cities. None of the people in those villages ever had to flee into these walled cities because Manasseh never even tried. So this was a complete failure on Manasseh's part. And yet things appeared fine to them while they were strong. Verse 28, it says, but the Canaanites would dwell in the land, which means that they just, they live, live there with no issues. 
Verse 28, and it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. So the word there, when, actually means because. So this is why they would dwell in the land, why they just remained as things were and nothing ever changed. It's because Israel was strong and they made them their forced labor. That's what the word put to the tribute means. They were strong. That's an interesting phrase. The word strong there means to have the ability to accomplish what you intend to do. So it's not that they couldn't defeat them. They just didn't feel like it. It was easier to just make a treaty with them where they became cheap labor for them. So instead of obeying the Lord, which they were strengthened enough by God to do, they make a treaty. Now, we have now slipped from compromise into direct disobedience. Turn to Exodus chapter 23 with me. Exodus 23. This chapter is really important because there's got a couple factors here that we're going to run into when we get to the end of our study today. So as we read through it, keep it in mind. Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's pretty cool. Hey, I'm going to send my angel before you and, and he's going to give you victory wherever you go. He's going to go before you in the place that I've prepared for you, the promised land. So there is a specific angel that's assigned to the nation of Israel in regards to their, their campaign. Beware of him and obey his voice. When did we ever see an angel show up in regards to the conquest of Israel? Angel of the Lord, when they were going to fight Jericho, right? Remember Joshua goes out and he wants to get a good view of the city. And he's there on the outs. He's there inside the very outlying areas of the wall of the city. And he notices this fully equipped armed soldier with his sword out. And Joshua immediately is like, are you for us or for our enemies? Because I can't let you get back into that city if you're for our enemies. And I love what, what the Lord says. He says, neither. <laughs> That's not the point here, Joshua. The point is you're on holy ground. I'm in charge of the army. And I'm the one who fights your battles. You need to do what I say. And Joshua complies. He falls down on his face and he worships. So, that's a pretty unique situation here that the Lord, you know, remember, remember the whole situation where God promises this and then the Lord says to Moses after the whole golden calf thing, I'm not going to go with you, but I'm going to send an angel before you and, but my presence won't go with you. And then that time Moses complains. I don't want an angel. I want you. Wait a second. I thought you were okay with the angel before. Yeah, because it's not just any angel. It's the Lord himself. We see in the scriptures this phrase, the angel of the Lord, a few times. It's not always the Lord, but very often it is. And so this is clearly when it talks about beware of him, obey him, don't provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Clearly, this is referring to the Lord himself. Now just keep all that in mind. Now, if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, verse 22, then I will be an enemy unto your enemies and an adversary unto your adversaries. For my angels shall go before you and will bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Okay, so you obey my voice, his voice, follow, follow your captain, it'll be victory all the way through. Verse 24, so what are his orders? You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do after their works. 
but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their images. And you shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless your bread and your water, and I will make sick, take sickness away from the midst of you. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in your land. The number of your days I will fulfill, and I will send my fear before you and will destroy all the people to whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs unto you. And I will send hornets before you. Who did that? The angel. We already saw that in, in Joshua. We shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittites from before you. Now, here the Lord says, but I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field multiply against you. But by little and little, I will drive them out from before you until you be increased and you inherit, the idea is inherit fully the land. And I will set your bounds. Here it is, the full borders of the land God promised to them. From the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, the Mediterranean, and from the desert unto the river, which refers to the Euphrates. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out from before you. So all the good things God says I will do, and this is what you need to make sure you don't do. Make sure what you do need to do and don't do. Verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto to you. Now, this is what always happens when I compromise. Compromise, no matter how little, eventually leads to outright disobedience and God's discipline. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.